0: Welcome to episode three of the Liquor Lab podcast. This is a little different episode where I'm actually interviewing entrepreneurs. Joining me this week is Jason Liquor, uh, my cousin. What's up, Jay?
1: What's going on? Congratulations on the podcast! Thank you, thank you, thank you.
0: So jumping right into it, this part of the podcast, these type of episodes are just entrepreneurial. How you started? what made you become a cook, now a baker? Because I don't know if anyone's been living under the rock, but baking with liquor is out right now. A cook, a chef. I remember back in the day you were at Stony Brook and you left abruptly. So (laughs) long journey since then. So I remember you telling me like, I'm leaving this place. Okay, get into it. How did you start, and what made you set down this path of becoming this executive chef?
1: All right. Well, my path is uh, has a good story, just like every other's, filled with success and absolute tragedy. And I think a lot of people find their path through tragedy and hard times. Um, As you know, Ryan, um, my mother had lung cancer. And this is when I first started cooking is because she was placed on a special diet that had to be low carbs, low sugar, low fat. And when we started baking together, creating this disgusting inedible pastry. That's the moment that I'm like, this is for me. You know, it was fun. It was dynamic. It was interesting, something I've never done before. And I like the science behind it. And I was like, okay, if we can create something without using real butter and sugar, and it tastes remotely decent, using butter and sugar is gonna be so much more easier. And taking a step back, growing up in Long Island, I was a fat pig, so there was always a love affair with food, which happened to be ironic, because when my mother was sick and she passed away, she never knew I went on to become a pastry chef. I'd say my journey started with cooking with my mother, And then I actually was in college while this happened. I was nineteen. So while I was, do you want to just get the
0: um, the touchdown pass
1: out of the way right now? Go ahead, say. a sixty-eight yard touchdown pass on Kings Park when I was a junior, and it was absolute lightning. (laughs) All right, good did you? It was ridiculous. I mean, I was stomping down that field like like I was freaking Pat Mahomes. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I've heard it every month for the last thirty. You see how tight that spiral was. Oh, oh
0: my God! It was All right. Okay, fine. So, you know, I, okay, so,
1: <laughs> you know um, I was actually in college in Cortland State University, upstate New York, and I was in as as an English education major, which I really wasn't interested in. And after student teaching, I was like, "Yeah, I'm going to culinary school." Now, I went to culinary school with already an internship under my belt at Union Square Cafe, so. I had a little bit of a lead um, over all the other students and I picked it up real quick. It's just one of those things that you, when you love something, when you fall in love with something, you absorb all that information. I don't care what it is. Maybe you like playing, uh, jumping around on a pogo stick. If you're really interested in it, you're going to be jumping around like a world record. For me, it just clicked in my mind. This is what I want to do. I love it. And I became obsessed with it, like watching TV, reading magazines, a huge amount of trial and error. And I got my my first big break. When I was actually only 22, and I've really only been cooking for like a year and a half. And I don't know if people remember this. There's a restaurant called Metro Reserve in Grand Central Station. My first pastry chef job, and I was 22, no idea what I was doing. And that's, that's probably the, the, my favorite time because I was learning so much about not just cooking. There's so much more that goes into being a chef than cooking. About management, p dealing with all the, like, oh, my oven's broken. What do I do? So I'm going to combine that, package it up of the trial and error section of learning and then just having an obsession with traveling and experiencing new things so i think my journey i had some lucky breaks and i worked my ass off and then that guided me to going from new york to miami new york shanghai san diego macau hong kong new york bangkok i think i i forgot where else i went but i've been traveling i think yeah, mexico uh, hawaii i've been traveling all over worldwide for about 20 years.
0: So tell me about the first time you were an apprentice or an intern or just not someone high up on the on the line. Just tell me about the first time the feelings, the experience when you were thrust into that position of this is my show, so to speak, and Now it's all you. You manage the team. I know there was a situation where you were just thrust in. Guy walked out. So what were your emotions? What was that day like the first day? It's like, this is real. It's go time.
1: Well, I actually took a step back and went down to Miami Beach to work at the Shore Club. And there was Nobu Restaurant. And I went to go work under this incredible pastry chef. Her name is Kimo Flaherty. Now, we, we waited six months for pre-opening, which I might have been doing a little partying, allegedly. And then finally, we're in the kitchen, and I'm like, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to learn so much from this woman. The next day, she resigns, and it's like, hey, the show is yours. And I was like, what? I was like, I moved here to work with you. She's like, you're doing great. Step it up. Take take the position and run with it. So I remember the next day, I was like, uh, okay, guys. <laughs> Today, we're going to make this. You know, was like I was 20. Get the Betty Crocker. Get the Betty Crocker mix. Let's go. <laughs> Somebody go to 7 Eleven and get me some cake mix. You know, it was like, it, it was a moment where I was like, okay, I have 11 people under me and I'm the youngest. So it was very surreal, super exciting, super scary. I didn't know how to talk to people back then. And, you know, the, there's a big difference between working in the kitchen now and then. And back then, I would yell. And then when I realized, hey, this isn't going to work, yelling at people, you need to lead by example and show your skills and show your passion, then people will follow. So it was that was a super exciting time. But a, a lot of trial and error, a lot of ups and downs, man. Like a lot of sleepless nights, like, wow, did I screw this up? Am I going to get fired? Am I going to get promoted? Like, it's, it's pretty, it's just like I think everybody else experiences this as they get older.
0: So what was that moment where after this happened, you, you were, you were like, you talked about like, you love it. This is what you had a passion for. So what was that moment after this happened? You're suddenly in charge. When was the moment you were like, I got this?
1: I think about a year after of learning how to talk to people, learning how to work with human resources. That was a whole interesting thing. Like, Jason, you can't say eat shit to the pastry cooks. I'm like, really? Oh. <laughs> I'm like, because when I was coming up, like I had like my first Boston Union Square yelling at me. And when I worked at Jean-Georges, pastry chef was like, a drunk Frenchman can work twice as fast as you American pieces of crap. You know, I'm not just that, this was not getting like political or anything, but it was different back then. You're in the kitchen. You're pretty much like, you know, you're the grunts on the on the field, you know, and I was and I learned and I put my time in. So when it came around full circle, I was like, wow, I need to really learn other skills than just knowing how to make a cookie.
0: Now you, you talk about relationships, and I will tell you firsthand that I've been to places across the world, China, <laughs> uh, I've been to Miami and I've uh- gone to someone at the restaurant that you instructed me to just go to the bar and say, I'm Jason Licker's cousin. <laughs> and I want to speak about a specific time in Miami where I did that. And I am telling you at the Shore Club, when Jason talks about relationships and building relationships, we are, th- that's one thing that is, is really a theme between both of our career paths and our journeys in life is that we build relationships. I could call on someone that did something for me for six, year, six years ago that printed business cards. He'd remember me. So, Over to Jason. I, he was in Asia. I go to the bar. Hey, I'm Jason Licker's cousin, like a loser. And they comp the whole bar bill. I, it it was in, I was there with some friends. They're like, who the hell do you know, Licker? So, yeah, relationships through this journey are so crucial. And then learning how to fit in. In the process of running a business now is there anything also before we move on to the next step of this journey is there anything you wish someone told you that you learned on the fly but if you knew it before it would have it would have actually accelerated your path and your your career
1: i wish somebody would have told me that you would need to be prepared to sacrifice pretty much your life for your career because back then You know, you don't realize what you're getting into if you want to succeed in a kitchen. Probably, it's probably similar for any business. You just need to be 100%, not 99, 100% in it, absorbed in the trenches. You know, you're the first one in, the last one out. You lead by example, make people laugh, make work not seem like work. You know, but I learned that especially after the first one or two management positions I had, that you're nothing without your team. So it's a huge sacrifice And I was, my attitude was like, I don't care what I need to do. I don't care where I need to go. I'm going and I'm succeeding. And um, that's what I did. And that's what got me to Asia is that like when you have a relentless determination to succeed, you need to be a hundred percent dedicated to your craft, no matter what it is, man.
0: Absolutely. I mean, just giving you my own insight is I didn't really, I wasn't really a hundred percent committed to my To the liquor lab until, you know, COVID, and I had to go all in on it. And then helping you with your latest book and realizing this could happen, I had to go all in. I have to sacrifice. And it's just getting to the culture and, you know, workplace culture adjusting what do you think the major differences are between someone starting whether you're a chef or a baker what do you think the major differences are today aside from all you have you can't say fuck you to you know the person and they're just one someone on your staff and they're just going to forget about it that aside Because as we had discussions, uh, people are a little more sensitive today in everything, whether you're in high school, middle school, or you're in a workplace. So what do you think the biggest differences are in culture and the process of paying your dues today versus when you actually did?
1: Great question, because this is huge in the cooking community now. Uh, when I started out cooking like in 96, yes, I said 96. There was no internet like this today. Like we're we're talking on a computer right now. It's crazy. You couldn't just go online and Google how to glaze a cake. Now you don't need, well, this is the problem. This is the major problem. A lot of the younger kids coming up think they don't need to learn. They think they know what they're doing by watching YouTube. Guess what? If you don't learn to do it by trial and error, I don't care how many times you watch YouTube. You're, you're just not going to get it. You're not gonna understand it. There's a difference between watching something on your phone while you're going to work than actually applying it in action. So there's, it's totally complete. Like when I'm interviewing people for positions for like cook one, like, oh yeah, I've done this done. I'm like, okay, well show me, then they're lost. I'm like, oh my God. First of all, you're messy. You're not standing up straight. You're not following the directions to the recipe. And look what you created. A pile of molten crap so i think a huge difference is is the technology that's available is making people lazy like man i used to like i can't do it anymore because i'm old but i used to memorize the recipes i didn't have to look at a little book and there's no i can't take out my iphone to check the recipe so i think coming up in the cooking world and it's actually pushed a lot of people off because at one point it became super trendy and obviously what's happening right now is in a downturn that the best way to have experience is to be hands-on in the kitchen, not by sitting in front of a computer. And a lot of kids don't get that. They think if they watch Gordon Ramsay that they are Gordon Ramsay. Speaking
0: of tech and you know the lack of that hustle, we've had discussions that not just in your industry or hospitality in general or every single profession where you have to have skill, passion, drive, a love for what you do. And and also this hustle mentality, it's kind of being lost. I remember when you were sending your portfolio <laughs> to Asia, I actually made your DVD <laughs> and there weren't, I'm telling you, I had that Mac, I had that iMac and the whole setup where you could burn DVDs in iMovie before like 2003, Jay? Yeah. 2004? Uh, yeah, it was
1: 2003 or 2004 before I went to China.
0: Exactly. And There was not really anyone around who had a burnable DVD drive and could lay out a slideshow with contact information. So this gets back to my whole theme that we had a conversation offline about the barriers to entry. Everyone thinks that you could watch YouTube, a how to video, and all of a sudden you're an expert. So I definitely see. And it's not just in your in your profession. It's it's happening all over. They don't know what it's like to hustle and hustle. Um, now that we've covered the past and what's going on now, what do you feel, and before we get to the most important thing, your self-published books, what do you feel the future for cooking and the hospitality industry now that everybody has to dine outside, all these capacity restrictions, what do you think is happening? What are the undercurrents that's happening in the industry right now?
1: Well, what's pretty wild is because I, since I lived in Asia for so long, I get reports on both sides in Asia and th- let's say the West between America, Mexico, Canada, and in Europe. The state of the industry is in serious, serious trouble. The lack, the inability to contain the virus is th- is already had so many closures, and the dead of the winter is going to be the worst by far. As opposed to where Asia's pretty much bounced back. Hong Kong is doing great. Singapore, even Japan, even like I saw this morning, Singapore and Hong Kong is going to have a travel bubble. They're almost back to normal, man. I mean, I wouldn't say, you know, GDP wise, but business. Here, there's been a huge shift of ordering meal kits, delivery, pickup. So a lot of people have had to change their business models if they can, because some places just can't. So I think for what I do, pastry isn't serious shit because having a pastry chef is a luxury. There are no pastry chef jobs really out there that are decent unless, I mean, it's it's really hard. But on the other hand, a lot of entrepreneurship, it's hard to say that word, is happening. People are starting their own businesses out of their house, which is fantastic. But at the same time, the long term, it's going to take a while to have the rebound here, I think, in food and beverage as opposed to elsewhere. You see a huge trend of everybody's a home baker, everybody's a pasta maker. You know, so it's 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 a pretty dynamic, interesting time. And unfortunately, the food and beverage industry, restaurants, hotels have taken a big kick in the balls. So that dynamics yeah, have changed totally.
0: Now switching over to what's currently going on for you. Two years ago, you self published a book called Liquorland, and um, you recently released, maybe a month ago, Baking with Liquor. Why don't you just go into the whole process, how these books came about, and what motivated you to say, I got to put out a book. It was nominated. The first book was nominated for an award. I personally worked on the current book, which was a fucking honor beyond belief. It was really cool to see this, this process and the tedious just <laughs> review was crazy. And it, it it was so much and it was so detailed and there's really good branding and style and theme. So just go into what made you in this entrepreneurial spirit. I think we both have issues saying that word in this spirit. What pushed you said, Hey, you know, you open your eyes. I was like, fuck it. I'm going to publish
1: a book. Well, what actually happened was I turned 40. <laughs> so most men, or all men, that turned 40 like this. Okay, what the hell am I doing? So, you know, I was a fairly successful pastry chef. And I'm like, okay, I need to shift this in another gear. Time is flying by. So actually, I was supposed to invest in a restaurant in Hong Kong with two friends. And I was saving money towards that goal to open up, to be a partner. I actually wasn't going to work in it. I was just going to be a partner. And it didn't work out. So I had this money available to me. And I was like, you know what? I want to write a book. I've got a a great story. I've been all over. It's time to do this. So what I did was I I started talking to friends and connections and resources, and I put together a proposal and it got rejected by 50 publishers. (laughs) And every no that I was receiving was motivating me even more. I was like, all right, no from Penguin, no from Chronicles. Okay, one day I'm going to be laughing. So what happened was I had this money saved. And then I contacted my close friend, Jason Lang, who's an incredible photographer, and said, hey, I want to do a book. And his first reaction, knee-jerk reaction was like, no way, dude. This is a lot of work. You're out of your mind. I'm like, look, next time you come to Hong Kong, because that's where I was working, come and have the desserts. And um, then let's talk. He came to Hong Kong, and I stuffed down 10 desserts in his face. And he's like, I'm interested in doing this with you. Let's collaborate. I said, give me a quote. And you know, when a lot of people, when they say this, because I knew it was expensive, when, when I'm like, give me a quote, like, and I'll tell you yes or no within a day or two, I thought he thought I was joking around because I have a sort of a reputation for being always joking, never serious, party boy, blah, blah, blah. But I know it, nothing about that. You know, I know nothing about that either, never, right? <laughs> never do anything like that. And when he gave me the quote, I gave him an answer right away. And I think he was taken back. I'm like, okay, let's do this. So... Now, in the meantime, I've never self-published anything. (laughs) It was a whole process that was a crash course of learning. Of course, as I said, trial and error, making mistakes. And fortunately, it turned out incredible. There's certain things like, I was an English major in college. So I'm like, okay, I can write this book. And then after nine months, I was like, oh my God, I'm in deep shit. I need an editor or a co-writer. I'm in trouble. And fortunately, it all worked out. And I sent it in as a joke to the James Beard Awards nominations. And we got nominated
0: it was just just explain what the James Beard Award is for people who don't who have not really followed the industry.
1: The James Beard Awards are the pretty much the academy awards like the oscars of the of the cooking industry for chefs, for books, for web content, for everything. There's a lot of categories but only i think it was six to eight book categories so i, I only sent mine in because I, we actually published it in bangkok the first one i only sent it in because i had one of my friends while we were getting completely annihilated drunk wasted he's com- he was yelling at me the whole time send it in send it in i'm like come on man i have the, this is the first day i have the book in my hand shut up and he just annoyed me so much that i sent it in it was a 500 dollars fedex to send 40 pounds of books i had to send in seven eight books and I forgot about it, to be honest. And then my phone was blowing up. When it got nominated, I'm like, what well, is this, a joke? And it, was, it wasn't a joke. And that opened a lot of doors, especially to traveling around, consulting, doing master classes, doing pastry pop-up events. So in essence, if I didn't do that book, we probably wouldn't be talking about this right now. You need to really, really push yourself. And when, you, when you're when you ready to quit, that's when you push even harder.
0: So now talk about what made you do a second book Baking with liquor. It's a, if you go to jasonlicker.com, I know, you know, my name's in it and stuff, but I do. I'm very, as Jason knows, I'm the first person to tell you, to, to, to give you real feedback from the moment when I got involved with the process. This is a really, from everything from the type to the font, this is what I focus on, like the type to the fonts, the feeling when you get that book, it's just a whole experience. So describe the vision, how that came about, what was the thing that said, Hey, you open your eyes. You said, I'm going to publish a, a another, a first book. Why the second book? And I know you shopped this one around <laughs> and, and you kind of got the same response. So what's up? Kind of.
1: <laughs> okay. So the first book was successful. And first of all, if you're going to self publish, or even if you have a publishing contract from a publisher, you're not doing a book to make money. You're doing a book to build your brand. And if you make money it's a bonus. Fortunately, I recouped my investment and and did well, and that led me to the second one because the first book was fancy schmancy restaurant dessert, and a lot of people were complaining, hey, this is hard to make at home. So I'm like, hell, let's do a home baking book. That's where the idea came about. And then thinking about doing the second book, I wanted it to be the polar opposite of the first one. I wanted you to have two books in front of you and besides the cover which obviously me, um, if you see the content, I want you to think this was created by two different people. And I think we achieved that goal. Now, having said that, I use the same photographer, but a griffin, a completely different graphic designer because I wanted a different feel. And this is where you come in, is that um, as we're doing this and creating the content and making pretty much a template, I'm like, all right, we're, we're, we're in trouble. Like this is like all over the place as opposed to the first experience, the graphic designer took care of, everything spacing the design the structure as where the second time i hired a friend that never did a book before because i wanted that raw perception that raw like the first i like when you hire people to do something they've never done it before because it's it's that raw passion so
0: what comes I'm that- in the same boat. I'm in the same boat. I'll hire someone on talent and teach them the other things that aren't really related to the job. It's just they have a vision. Everything
1: will work out. Bingo. But what comes that raw talent also comes a lack of experience with certain details that need that need to line up in order to like make the whole thing flow. So when it came to InDesign and margins and spacing and font bullets, I mean, I was like ready to throw up. Put it that the way. bullets of death, the bullets of death. <laughs> just crazy. to just to give a little
0: insight on that, when I got the InDesign file, I was like, Jay, um, I'm gonna need to put in some time for this. Like, this is not something I'm just gonna look over. And we, I spent probably 20, 30, 40, maybe even more hours, just giving it some consistency, spacing. And it was a really awesome experience. I mean, just to see all this stuff, it was great. So you're, you hired that person who's, who just was, again, never did it, but you liked their kind of creative energy
1: and uh, the book's out right now, right? The book is out right now. And it's called Baking with Liquor, Home Baking with Asian Accents. And I have to say that without your help, there would have been some stop serious it. problems. Just stop it. You're, well you're too no. kind. Well, let me tell you, like you don't understand. So this is all being done actually. The book came out in September. It only t- it took nine months to from start to finish, pretty much. But I was in Hawaii locked down because I couldn't <laughs> escape during COVID. And that's when I'm having like a severe breakdown because not only does this take a lot of time, passion, and energy, this of course, this is a lot of money, and I was like, "Oh my god, this isn't lined up. This looks like like a third grader did it." And then after I was like ready to like hyperventilate into a brown paper bag, and then you sent back the first draft. I was like, oh, "Fucking thank god!" Like you don't understand the sense of relief because, like I, I'm sure as you know, when you do any project that's a passion project that involves tens of thousands of dollars, this is a big deal. I mean, the immediate feedback after people have bought it has been incredible, so thank you for that. But you you have to understand that the aspects of putting together a publication after you've been rejected again by 50 publishers for the second time, even with a book agent.
0: that I remember, I was just going to bring that up, that you had a book agent, she was shopping the deal, and then when we connected, I guess in March, right? I was like, so what's up with the agent? You're like, what agent? (laughs) Jesus.
1: <laughs> you know, so this is a lesson oh, yeah. for anybody that's listening: is that you really need to just go balls out. Like, you can't hold back or restrain yourself if you have a, a goal. Like, you can't let any obstacle get in the way. So, of course, my motivation is is like, you know, what? One day, I'm gonna I'm gonna send a copy to this agent and just have two letters in it. I, I told you, I'm like, you better mail. Her. I'm like, you
0: better mail her a copy. Is signature
1: required. So, I mean, it's the reception's <laughs> been great. And uh the, the, there's two big book award seasons coming up. I'm entering it. It's also like well, now that I've done two of these, I'm getting a lot of messages and emails about help on people's books. Because for some reason, people think writing a book or publishing a book is super simple. They don't understand the work the Time, the frustration level, because when you're doing it and you have a photographer, graphic designer, writer, like you're depending on other people's timelines. It's not yours. <laughs> like you can make say, Hey, I want this done by Tuesday, you know what? And then they're like, Oh, oh, uh, yeah, of uh, which week? I'm like, What exactly? Exactly. So I think as this is my first real experience as an entrepreneur investing in myself, and no matter how frustrating it is and how discouraging it seemed, when I got the book in my hand, everything evaporated. And it was just this euphoric feeling of like, oh, my God, like this is insane.
0: So what did you learn from the first to the second book? Like, what is the the thing? Like, first of all, anyone telling you, telling me, no, you can't. It's basically telling us, uh, prove me wrong. Yeah. You know, it's it's that's how it's translated in my head. So, what was the aside from people telling you no, what was the main thing that you learned during the first book that you brought into the second and really optimized and had a more efficient approach to the Baking with Liquor publication?
1: Well, okay. Well, there's a few things that really, really, that were really quite different is that number one, make sure the book is written first. Uh, because i was sort of writing the first one as i was going along and that was just totally insane so because we really didn't have a we didn't know what we were doing man we had no structure so i did the photo shoot first for the first book and then we sort of like wrote it as we went which was just insane my number one piece of advice to anyone writing a book is hire a co-writer or an editor because it's very hard to get everything to flow to have your thoughts sound perfect that's going to take the most time editing it was. It's a nightmare. It's tedious. And So you
0: took pictures first and wrote the book after. The first one, I took the pictures and
1: wrote after.
0: Wow, we are learning
1: so much today. We applied the, lesson to the second one to write the book first and then take the pictures. Wow. So, you know, wow. so after the book was written and the structure was there, then we did the photo shoot, testing the recipes, then go back and edit everything. <laughs> Not... Do the photo shoot first, write it, freak the hell out, then have to go back and test the things again, even though you did the photos. It was just like, like it was so funny. The first book, the editor's like, Jason, you know when it's small-sized saucepan, there's a hyphen. I'm like, what? So it took like a week pumping <laughs> hyphens. It was a nightmare. Then the second one with the same editor, you know, we knew exactly what we were doing and it went super smooth. Number two also was, from the learning experience, I printed my first book in Bangkok because it was uh, a little cheaper. I didn't account for the shipping from Bangkok to the States and the VAT in Thailand. So the first book was actually uh, quite more expensive than the second one, because the second one, I found a printer in Quebec and obviously shipping from Quebec to like Florida costs nothing. In comparison, it it was still, you know, money, but it's a lot less. So small things like that, we hit a home run with the first one because it was outside the box. So that's what we stuck with, the same thing. Let's look at what people are doing and do the opposite. So that was the problem why it didn't get picked up by a publisher. People were like, why is it only Asian accents? I'm like, well, that's because nobody does it. They're like, well, it's too niche. I'm like, well, how does something not become niche by somebody starting the trend? So You
0: know, it's so funny. It's so funny just to bring up something you mentioned to me. And I remember where I was. I just sent you, I guess, a revision. I could still remember the, I think it's 8.857 is every single column with bad. the grams because I uniformed them all. And I just had this number in my, I think it's point eight five seven. So you had mentioned that there were so many people giving you opinions. You have to have supplemental ingredients. It's so interesting that you have this vision. And although people were discouraging you, you kept to your idea and vision and took in all the the feedback and you didn't try to please everyone. You took it in, you made an adjustment here or there. I know you said you could supplement, I, I think a few recipes It's funny also, because I knew exactly what pages each thing was on. I'm like, Oh, this one, it's on uh it's on a uh, uh, spread 34 page 67, you know, so I was like that. But to tell me about how you, you held tight to the vision and the direction when everybody was telling you, and there was a lot of people telling you, this isn't going to work. You need to have a supplemental ingredient because not everybody could have access. So tell me about how you just stayed on that path.
1: Remember, I didn't even know what spread
0: meant. <laughs> oh my God. I'm like, so what's right? You're like, dude, it's page 67. I'm like, um, all right, cool.
1: <laughs> um, I think- the, the biggest thing was, is that it having experienced it from the first book, is that when you start asking other people's opinions, first of all, expect everybody's opinion to be polar opposite from yours and each other. So it's very hard because you're taking all this information and trying to internalize it and be like, how am I going to take this in, twist it into my vision? It was, it's really difficult, but you need to just have your eye on the prize and, st- and just remember why you're doing this originally. Because if you get lost in, in the moment and hearing the outside voices, then you lose your voice. It was always, I know what I want. I know what I want, but I need help. And it's a fine line between that. So I stuck with my guns and some things I bent, some things I totally changed and some things I'm like, no, it has to be like this because this is the, the soul of the book. You know, like it's about Asian ingredients. But I did bend because some people are like, you know what? I don't want to use Asian ingredients, but I want to buy this book. So that's why in some of them I have one or two suggestions. Hey, if you don't have Vietnamese coffee, just use Italian espresso. They're both strong coffees. But a lot of this also takes common sense of the reader. But as I've learned, you can't expect anyone to really have common sense, like seriously. So you need nope. to offer suggestions. So that's where I bent instead of just making it only Asian accents. I'm like, okay, hey, instead of using matcha, you can use this. You can use milk tea you don't even have to use you can use any tea from any culture So it takes like a strong foundation to give into the pressure of others. And I think that that's in our gene pool is just sort of being stubborn, but also fair.
0: Okay, so you've been all over the world. James Beard nomination, two self-published books. I'm just gonna ask you a few questions now, just like one-offs, because this is stuff I wanna know too. So what motivates you today?
1: And to follow up to that, how do you generate new ideas? What motivates me today is that I don't count anything I've done before soon as it's done, it's over. It's gone. It doesn't exist. That's what really pushes me. I'm like, oh, people are like, oh, you were nominated for a James Beard Award. I'm like, yeah, I didn't win it. Uh, It's over. It's gone. So that's what motivated me for this, this next one. I'm like, I need to create something completely different and I'm winning something. I don't care. I'm, that's it. What helps me with ideas is just when you travel, when you talk to, it's just everyday life it motivates me and inspires me because you, you learn something new or see something new every day, it's either online or just even going to the supermarket. I'm like, what is this? I haven't seen this before. So it's, it's, that's not difficult for me.
0: Okay. And I guess as far as uh, cooking and preparation, I've always wondered how the hell when you're making, uh, let's say a dessert, how the hell do you know how much of a certain ingredient when you're cooking for a large crowd at a restaurant? Like anyone could go follow the recipe for like baking a chocolate cake, right? But how do you know, as this ties back to ingredients, kitchen operations, forecasting, this ties it in, how the hell do you know how many chocolate cakes to make? How many eggs go in when you're doing it for, let's say, 45 people rather than just a family cake? How did you learn this? Because that always intrigues me. Like You could prep so much, but how are you prepping? How are you scaling the chocolate cake? How does that work?
1: What's great about pastry is that most pastry chefs work out of the freezer. So if you need to make a large batch, you can just freeze it, and then refresh it in the oven, and it's good as new. The way I really learned was I, on average, feel like people have 120 to 150 grams for a dessert portion. Let's say that's like four or five ounces. So what I do is convert everything to grams, add it up, and then figure out the portion size, and then just multiply that to create it for any amount of people. So it's efficient, there's no waste. And if there's extra, you either eat it or you freeze it and use it another time. Because for pastry, there's virtually like almost no wastage, unlike, you know, unlike where you um, bring in like a whole tuna and you fabricate it, and then some of the, some of the body parts you throw out. Unlike a pastry, like anything that you have, you can freeze and utilize. So I figure I pretty much make it an equation. So your time is money, and ingredients are money, and this is the best way to really have an efficient food cost. Otherwise, you won't be in business.
0: Yeah, you mentioned earlier about the science and the P&L. So I guess that all it all ties in. Um, so there's two two more things I'm going to touch on before we wrap it up. I, uh, this has been awesome. As an entrepreneur, what Could you identify your first big payday? Like, they're paying me this to do what I love. Was there a defining moment um, in your career or any time where you got that direct deposit, that check, that envelope, and you were like, wow, this is unbelievable?
1: I think it was the first gig I landed with this company, Boron, which is a frozen puree company based out of France. And I've been contacting them for years and they usually prefer friend chefs, which of course I understand. Um, and I come out with liquor land. I'm like, guys, come on, let's use your product and do something completely opposite that you've ever done before. So they finally agreed. And the event was like a demonstration an afternoon tea where I serve five of my desserts. And then I go around to certain clients and then we make stuff together. And it blew them away. And then I've been doing it pretty much every year. And then when I got the first check, I was like, this is awesome. I'm working with a product. I love a company I respect and I'm making money for for like making cakes. I mean, but that happens every year where you're like, this is amazing. Like even last year, I was in Shanghai and and I made the menu for Tiffany's Blue Box Cafe in Shanghai. I was like, I can't believe I'm making desserts for Tiffany's. And then I got the paycheck and was like, yeah, I'm making desserts for Tiffany's.
0: (laughs) Oh man. I know that story. I know
1: that. uh, How's the Pantone number of the Tiffany's blue? Oh God. What a nightmare. This one. one, They're like, Oh, this turquoise color is different than our Tiffany's blue. I'm like, I'm going to choke you.
0: (laughs) Okay. So, um, one more thing here. If you could, the young 19, 18 year old entrepreneur, uh, someone who has their sights on being a pastry chef, being a cook, just getting into the service industry as a service provider and hospitality in the restaurant business. What is the one piece of advice you would give them with all your experience and thinking about the climate today and everything? If you could give them one piece of advice, what would it be?
1: You better love it you better love cooking you better love what you're doing you're not going to become a millionaire you may never have your own restaurant so you need to really really love what you're doing and enjoy it because as soon as you hate it it becomes work it's very competitive it's very difficult great jobs are hard to find actually most of my jobs that i loved i found a word of mouth from other people that's why your connections and you know stabilizing your foundation with people that know what they're doing and that are cool is very important. Like you really need to love it because forget about holidays, forget about vacations when you want. You take a vacation when it's the slowest time. You don't take a vacation during a holiday. You don't get off Christmas, New Year's. It's a lot of sacrifice and you need to really love it and learn the right way. Otherwise, that's why a lot of people that, it's pretty amazing to me how a lot of people go into this as a second career because they don't really know what they're doing because they're like, oh, I love to cook. And then a few years later, like, ah, forget cooking. You know, you really need to sacrifice, dedicate, and love it. And if you do, and you're cool with that, like, I'm fine. I would not change anything I've done in my path. Like, I love the mistakes I've made, and I appreciate the successes. But without screwing up everything I've made, I would have never have succeeded. And people don't understand that these days. I think it's difficult for people to digest that, that you need to do the trial and error. And when I heard your other podcast about entry points, people these days, younger kids don't understand that, that look, you need to crawl before you walk. You just absolutely just don't go in a marathon without training. And people don't get that because while technology is incredible, it also spoils people. It jades
0: their perspective on a lot of things that, you know, I gave an example of hustling in front of in New York, of course, you have a hip hop station, Hot 97. And there's a story about one of the rappers who used to wait outside the station and hand out his demo. Every every DJ that came out. Hand out his demo. That doesn't exist today. Last thing, where could we find you on social? Where what's coming up uh next for Jason Liquor? Any places you're going, restaurants, you're associated? What's what's next? And where can we find you on social?
1: Social media, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram is at Jason Liquor. Um, next up, I think we're gonna be going to Mexico. I'm gonna visit some friends in Cancun, then I'm actually gonna assist one of the best pastry chefs in the world in Mexico City. His name is Luis Roberto Richards. He's opening up his second shop. His first shop's called Tout Chocolat. He actually just won the San Pellegrino Best Pastry Chef in South America. We went to culinary school together way back. I'm gonna be helping him open his shop. And then uh, then we're gonna see what happens next. I mean, nobody knows what's ha- It's pretty unpredictable right now, especially in the States, but I'm keeping everything wide open. Slowly working on a third book, which I'll need help with, of course hint, hint. <laughs> I think everybody is at the wait and see phase, but I'm still pushing my book, pushing lessons. The hustle doesn't stop. You know, you have to make sure to always be on point, be ready. This is where I, my old school hustle comes from. You need to be ready. I, I'm ready to go anywhere. I don't own anything. If I get a job offer in Japan, I'm leaving tomorrow. I think that separates me from a lot of people is that I'm so motivated still after doing it for 25 years that that like I want to like accomplish something and touch people's lives. Yes. It
0: It just, it, it ties back to the love, the passion, loving what you do to you. It's not a job. And I think what the message, if there's one takeaway from this, which there should be a lot is that you need to commit on a level that you're really not familiar with. You have to love it. You also touched on, you know, once it's done, it's done because You know, we celebrate today, but tomorrow we still got to grind. I think that is really, really important, especially for the younger generation that is really living in a completely different environment. The dynamic, everything is completely different.
1: I think it's sort of like uh, like similar to like an adrenaline junkie. It's like you experience that success. And then it's over and I'm like, okay, I need to be better.
0: Exactly. So that, that you was, gotta be better every day. It's never good enough.
1: enough. How can yep. I be better? Like, yeah, I was nominated, but I didn't win. And even if I won, I'd be like this, okay, well I need to win too. Like, it's just, it's, it's just one of those things that ingrained in my DNA that I hope like that when I teach kids, kids, when I teach like, you know, 20 year olds, whatever, that are in the kitchen. I call them young bloods. Yeah, like, I teach I, I, those young bloods. Pu- I try to push them and I'm like, man, like, this isn't just like cooking. This is like you're training yourself for your life. So like, so important. So, pay so attention.
0: Important. <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, we could go on forever, but Jason, thank you so much for taking the time to chat about your journey and your continued journey and thank you jasonlicker.com baking with liquor order it start start baking. Jay, thanks. Love you, man. Thanks you, man. Love you, proud of you.